Is this on? Can yeah. yeah, okay, super. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. Um, Mike's always such an encouragement to me. Um, I, I always feel uplifted when I'm around Mike, so I do thank you for that. And I'm sure that pretty much everybody in this room has been encouraged by Mike at some time or another. So thank you, Mike. When Mike asked me <clears throat> if, I'd be, if I would be willing to do this this morning, as we were talking, I kind of had in mind that he was talking about maybe five minutes or maximum 10-minute slots. Uh, and as the conversation went on, he said, no, it'll just be you that morning, Glenn. And so my heart started racing a little bit. And I felt the need to give him a real spiritual answer. So I think I said something like, I'll give it some prayerful consideration, Mike. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then afterwards, I thought to myself, I don't actually know what that means. <laughs> yeah. Do I pray and then consider it? Do I pray and consider it at the same time? Do I pray and ask God to consider it? I wasn't sure. But anyway, I did pray. I did pray. Um, I also asked my wife about it because I said, Mike's asked me to pray, uh, to talk, and it's going to be for 30 minutes or so. Uh, I don't know if I can really talk for that long. And she said to me, Glenn, when you get going on something, you go on all day. So I took that as an encouragement and thought... Here I am. So the point of that is, if, uh, if it goes wrong this morning, have a chat with Mike and my wife afterwards. So. That's right. Um, as Mike said, I've been here for now in Oasis for nearly two and a half years, and there's quite a lot of people that I haven't met before, so a lot of faces I haven't had the privilege and the pleasure to meet with. So I thought, as a very short introduction, I wanted to just share three points about myself, um, just as a way of getting to know me, really. So the first one is that I'm married with two children, and here's a picture of my wife <laughs> and my two very normal children. Um, this um, expression on my wife's face because of this, this was the same expression she had when I asked her out, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much that. Um, <laughs> the second um, point about myself is that for the last 10 years, I've been a, an official umpalumper. I work at Cadbury's in Bourneville, and that's my job for a living. And then the third random fact is that 10 years ago when I joined Cadbury's was the very moment I decided that I'm not eating any more chocolate. So I, I quit chocolate and I thought to myself, that's it, I'm not having any more, which is quite difficult in my job because you're meant to eat chocolate and be there. What I would say unashamedly this morning, I have brought a lot of chocolate in for afterwards. Yeah. However, it is reserved for those of you who don't heckle me during the talk. <laughs> And I'm thinking of Sarah and Rachel who promised that they would, so yeah. It's only for those who don't heckle me. So that's, that's me. Um, before I go into the main talk, I would, it would be great if I could just uh, lead us in a short prayer. I just ask for God's blessing on this time and help me calm my nerves, if that's okay. <clears throat> Holy Father, I do thank you that we can come together in worship of you this morning. Father, I, I pray that we can continue in the worship of you through the study of your word. By your Holy Spirit, will you illuminate our hearts and our minds this morning? <clears throat> will you both challenge and change us as you would wish as we study your word today? I ask that, this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. <clears throat> so, I've called the title of my talk this morning... Same, same, but different. Same, same, but different. Just as a, a quick show of hands, has anybody heard of this term before? Okay, so it's one person. <laughs> okay, a couple of people, okay, good. Well, I first 
came across this term when I was traveling many, many years ago, BC, before children. I was, <laughs> I was, in, a, I was in a place, Thailand, and specifically in Bangkok. And this is a very bad picture of me when I was in Thailand. My hair there, I wasn't trying to become a monk or anything. It was just easier to manage at that point. So, so I was in Thailand, in a place, Bangkok. And in Bangkok, there's a very famous road called Koh San Road. Some of you may have heard of it. And it's famous because it's very, very hustly-bustly. There's a lot of activity from morning to night. There's lots going on. Each side of Koh San Road, you have market stalls. And these market stores, they sell everything you can imagine from handbags, CDs, DVDs, clothes, anything you can imagine they sell on there. The thing about these market stores is that they sell, everything they sell is pretty much fake, it's counterfeit stuff. But as a backpacker, when you are kind of tra traveling quite cheaply, you kind of go and you buy your t-shirts and you use them as you do and then kind of chuck them away afterwards. So this is what you would do, I would go and I'd buy some t-shirts. But the thing is, when you go there, you're told by your fellow backpackers that you're not, to, you're not to accept the price that the guy tries to sell them at. You, you've got to barter with them. You've got to uh, negotiate. And the reason, and, and they said that, if you, if you was just to accept the price that they, they say, it's almost like you're insulting them in some way. Now, I wasn't fully convinced of this, but you kind of get into that way. And when you go, you end up, inevitably, you end up negotiating. Um, so... I would go and I'd buy some T-shirts. And um, the scenario would go something like this. I would approach him and go, excuse me, my friend, how much are your T-shirts? And then they would go something like five for the equivalent of a pound. Well, it was in baht, but it was really, really cheap, five for a pound. And that's when the game began. So I would then go, I'd get all outraged. I'd go, five for a pound, are you kidding me? Five for a pound? I could fly to the UK, get them cheaper, and come back cheaper than that. I mean, it was ridiculous. So, you know, I thought about it. I thought, you'd never go anywhere else and do this. So then you'd go, I'll give you 90 pence for those five T-shirts. You know, if you was in Tesco, you imagine doing your weekly shop, and it came to 50 pound, you go, I'll give you 49 pound of 50p for that. You can just imagine that the lady would just press the security button quickly and be carted off. So you go, I'll give you 90p for five T-shirts. And then, then it was there, his turn to respond, and he would go, 90p, are you crazy, you Englishman? Get out of here. And he would say, you're trying to steal the shoes off my nine children's feet here. Go on, clear off like this. And it would all be very animated, and you kind of have a twinkle in the eye as you're doing it. Um, but then it would go on and on and on. And then, but if you really wanted to nail a negotiation point, if you got to that point where you think, oh, I've got to get this, You'd walk up to a T-shirt, and you'd look at it. And let's say it was a Nike T-shirt. You'd walk up to it, and you'd go, is this really a Nike T-shirt to the guy? And even before you'd ask the question, you know it's not. And the reason you know it's not is because Nike like, had two E's on the end. It was like, Nike! <laughs> so, you know, it was that, that counterfeit them. <laughs> and then the guy would respond. He'd be go, yeah, yeah, Nike, Nike. Same, same, but different. And this was this term, same, same, but different. Apologies if anybody's from Thailand. That was the best accent I could do. So. Same, same, but different. And then you'd end up finishing the negotiation, and you'd kind of, it'd be like 95p. You'd settle in the middle. And both parties would walk away as if they got the better of their opponent, I think, yeah. And that's how it went. As I was preparing for today's talk, and when I was reflecting on the series of the Sermon on the Mount, 
this term kept resonating with me. It kept coming back. Same, same, but different. Same, same, but different. And I want to share with you why that is. As I look at <coughs> the message, both in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel and to the 21st century Christian today, I think there's elements of this same, same, but different. Our lives as 21st century Christians, um, in some ways, have pockets of the sameness as those around us. We live in the world. So we have people around us who are non-Christians, non-believers. Some of them may be atheists, agnostics. They may have different worldviews as we have. But I would say that there are pockets of our life that kind of maybe the same. At the most basic level, the people we live and, and kind of are around were, were human beings. So there's an obvious statement. So at the very primary level, we have things like food that we need. We need shelter. We need love. So there's pockets here that are the same. If we move on from there, we can have even more advanced sameness, if that's even a word. We have things, maybe our hopes are the same. I hope for me, for myself, that my very normal children will grow up, get well-educated, and do a really good, have a really good future. Claire, the lady I work with, is not a believer in Christ, but she hopes for the same thing. Maybe some of us here today are hoping that we're going to do well in our exams, and I'm sure that's, again, the same kind of hopes that our non-Christian friends or our non-believing friends have. So there's areas of the same. Then I move on to temptations. I know, for example, if I turn my TV on at half ten of a night, the same kind of material is going to come through the screen as it does for my non-believer friends. If I am squeezed for resource, whether that be time or money, the temptation is the same for both the Christian and non-Christian. Let's hold on to it. There's a limited amount of what we've got. We should hold on to it. There's that kind of temptation there sometimes can be for both of us. But what I see in the teachings, and it's almost like a crescendo point in the Sermon on the Mount, is that even though there are pockets of our life that are the same, 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 Jesus calls us to be radically different. He calls us to be radically different in our behaviors and our attitudes. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. And so everything that Jesus does and says, it's almost raising the standard. We're to be radically different, even though there are areas the same, you know, as I mentioned. We're now going to come on to a verse today um, that we're going to explore this a bit more and, and un unpack it and see how that kind of permeates again the message that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to invite Mike up, if he would be so kind as to, to read the verse. This is from Matthew 5 in verse 33. It's coming up on the screen. Uh, again, you've heard it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Mm. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Mm. 
So what we see here, you know, this, whether the analogy with the T-shirt kind of parts way somewhat, is that the T-shirt was a, a replica, it was a fake, it was a uh, compromise of an original, and it had diminished value. What we see here in Christ's teachings is that because he's the author of our faith, and because he's laying down the pattern for how we should live, in line with the original. So when we align with that, we come back to an original point. What I first noticed about that verse, when I kind of first read it, I, I, I instantly thought, hmm, it kind of feels out of place. You know, when, when you think of just what's been spoke about before that, Jesus talked about murder, adultery, and divorce. Murder, adultery, divorce, big heavyweight subjects. And now he's coming on to talking about not taking goats. It kind of feels, okay, has Jesus done the meaty stuff and now he's coming on to the tail end stuff? That was my initial thought in terms of the position. It was almost, I looked at it, I thought, is this the Rocky Five of the Rocky movies? <laughs> now, that might not resonate with everyone, but the Russian to Tommy Gunn, it was like, is this, is this where it's going? But then, then I started to unpack it and understand it in its context. And what you realize very quickly is that the heart of this passage Jesus is getting that integrity and character. It's about integrity and character. And when we look at the life of Christ, who we are, who's our ultimate kind of role model, who we want to emulate, we see that both character and integrity are of vital importance to us as Christians today. I think character and integrity will shape every major decision that you make. I think your character and your integrity will determine who you are today and also who you become in the future. And finally, I think it's your character and your integrity, not necessarily your personality, will determine how well you represent Jesus to the world. I wanted like to share with you three quotes from some well-known Christians on integrity. The first is by C.S. Lewis. Integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. <coughs> even when no one is watching, I'm going to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. I love that. And Billy Graham says, <coughs> integrity is the glue that holds our lives together. We must constantly strive to keep our integrity intact. When wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. For when our character is lost, everything is lost. And then finally by John Maxwell, image is what people think we are, but integrity is what we actually are. Image is what people think we are, and integrity is what we actually are. So what has this all got to do with the verse on oaths that Mike read out? When we look at the, the first question that I think is important, so what is an oath? What is an oath? An oath really is a binding vow. The person taking the vow would call upon God as a witness that he would fulfill that vow and to punish him if he didn't do it. So this was really kind of weighty stuff. I, I, you know, it's not something you would kind of like, Lord, I call upon you now that I will make a cup of tea at half time for my wife. I will do it, Lord. It's not that kind of thing. It's more like things that 
I think in today's terms, you would have a contract for, maybe it's things about land or ownership. It was, it was kind of weighty issues of the day. So when you take an oath, you would use God's name and you would you'd call upon him to be the witness. Now, what the Pharisees at the time and the, and the Jews at the time would have known is that the Mosaic law, the law that was given to Moses, that would prevent them from using God's name lightly. It would be a prohibition. You would not take God's name lightly. If you call upon God's name, then you've kind of better mean business. And, and here are just three scriptures that help reinforce that. So the first one is in Leviticus. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of, the God, of your God. I am the Lord. Then in Numbers we have, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but he must do everything he said. Then the third one in Deuteronomy, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you and you will be guilty of sin. So I think these three scriptures, they really reinforce that when you take an oath and you use God's name, you better be, you kind of got to mean business. You're not to do it too lightly. You're not to do it lightly at all. <clears throat> so the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they went to work on this. They went to work on this. And what they did and what they attempted to do, they tried to take the focus of the oath and change it. So the focus wasn't so much on, oh, we should fulfill this oath because it's the right thing to do. What they did, they took the emphasis off of that and they put it on God's name. And specifically, if they could take God's name out of the oath, replace it by a different name, by something else, whether that be heaven, earth, Jerusalem, their head, then somehow they've smuggled in the ultimate get-out clause. And that's what they were attempting to do. They were trying to replace the name of God. So then, if they didn't fulfill it, then, oh, God's name wasn't in it, it wasn't binding. In today's terms, it would be like, if I borrowed some money off of Gus, I'm not going to ask you, Gus, just for any worrying sake. <laughs> um, if I should borrow some money off Gus, I was saying, Gus, you know, Gus kept coming to me and said, when are you going to pay me back, Glenn? You said you was going to give me the money. And then eventually I said to him, Gus, the thing is, when, you, when we spoke about this, I had my fingers crossed in my pocket. It would be that kind of, yeah, that's the kind of thing that is going on here. There's a lack of integrity. There's a, there's a deception about it. And there's certainly a compromised position that the Pharisees were taking. Now, the wonderful thing about Jesus, and I encourage you to, 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 to read this into the Gospels when you, when you look at the Gospels. The wonderful thing about Jesus is he always sees your intent prior to your content. He always sees the, your heart's agenda and my heart's agenda, irrespective of what we put on the outside. When you read the Gospels, you can see this. Often when Jesus is asked a question, he doesn't go straight back with the answer. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? He doesn't go back to X, Y, and Z. The first thing he goes back with is, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And the point is, Jesus is unearthing 
the starting place, the intention of where this person's coming from. He wants to know, does this person really believe that I'm God? God? He wasn't confused about who he was, but he wanted to know and expose the heart of the person saying it. So he always sees intent prior to content. And he certainly did it here with the, the Pharisees as they were trying to circumvent what they should have been doing, which was to be honorable. They were mishandling the spirit of the Lord, uh, spirit of the law, sorry. And Jesus also points out the hypocrisy of what they're trying to do. He goes on to say, look, you know, if you use heaven instead of God's name, heaven is God's throne. If you use earth, that's God's footstool. If you use Jerusalem, that's the city of the great king. Even if you swear by your head, in one sense you are your own person, but in another sense you're totally God's because he created you. Whatever you try and smuggle in as a replacement for God, you can't take God out of the equation. He's in it and he's part of it, and you shouldn't be you know, attempted to have this kind of manipulation. And Jesus saw straight through what they were attempting to do with this. And what he says to you and me as 21st century Christians is that if you're a follower of me, you don't need to do these things. You don't need to have these clever formulas, these clever get-out things. All you need to do is let your yes be yes and your no, no. Be straightforward in your talking. It's not about another prohibition. It's about you don't need to do these things. If you find that you need to say anything more than yes or anything more than no, what you can see is a compromise. You can see a corruption. You can see something of the evil one about what's, you know, what you're saying. There's no need to do that. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. When I was thinking about how Jesus raised this and put this together and, 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 uh, and he was kind of bashing the, the religious leaders at the time and you know, it's easy to reflect on them and say, yes, they deserve that. Come on, pound them, pound them, Jesus. Keep going. You know, because you can see Jesus makes it so very obvious that these guys are just missing the point completely. And then I reflected on my own life prior to becoming a Christian prior to knowing Christ, I thought about my own integrity and my own character. And I have to say, you know, at times it was rock bottom. If there's a way of quantifying it, I was right down here at rock bottom. I didn't know how much I was loved by Christ. I didn't know how much I was valued by Christ. And in the absence of those things, uh, you know, I had no self-worth. I had no kind of value that I understood, intrinsic value that, that God places on me. And in doing that, in being in that position, you know, integrity and character, you've got no, you've got no true north to measure against. You end up doing whatever the world does. You become, you know, I was in the world and I, and I was of the world at that time. Thankfully, the Lord rescued me from that position. But I have to say, even now, today, there are times when my integrity is not as it should be. And I'll just give you a very light-hearted example. At Christmas time, my wife, my lovely wife, asked me to read this book on good parenting. And I'm like, oh, really? Good parenting, that is the last thing I want to read. Probably the first thing I needed to read, but the last thing I wanted to read. 
And I kept saying to her, you know, this may resonate more with the married couples who've been married a few years. So she kept asking me and asking me and asking me. And I was like, oh, man, I'm not going to get away with this. What's the, what's the path of least resistance? Is she going to forget? Is she going to drop it? Or is the path of least resistance just doing it and reading it and then it's done? And I went for this, the latter one. I said to her, yes, I'm going to read it. You said it will only take an hour to read. I'm going to take this Saturday. I'm going to read this book. And then, yes, the end of this. And I ended up just reading one paragraph of this book. And if you ask my daughters, it's probably evident that I only read one paragraph. Um, I ended up read, reading one paragraph. And it was just another example of me saying yes when my actions said no. You know, I didn't call upon God and say, God, I'm going to read this book. I didn't do it in that way. But, but still, my integrity, the thing that I said I would do, I, I didn't actually do. And there may be areas of our life that we've got, areas of our life that we are you know, nagging at us and we think about it in our own integrity and our own character. Things in our life, materials are in our life, people, conversations we're having. Maybe there's something there within us that we need to kind of look at and diligently deal with. I was thinking about how we could have some practical points out of this. What can we do practically? You know, coming back to the quote from Billy Graham, that we need to diligently work at our character and integrity. We shouldn't let this be an area of our life that we just kind of uh, are, are kind of desensitized to. You know, if it's like a ship traveling over a long distance, if a ship changes just one degree, in the short term, you don't notice it going off path, but in the long term, what happens is you, go, you completely miss your ultimate destination. The three points, the three recommendations that I, I kind of thought of, I don't think these are exhaustive. I think it's really important that each one of us needs to wrestle with God and to understand how they need to make sure they're keeping on top of you know, your integrity and character and how you work at that and you partner with God with that. But the first recommendation I, I had was that you regularly spend time with God in reflection. And I say regularly, I think healthy if you do this daily. And this is about coming before God and saying, God, is there anything in my life where I'm lacking integrity? Is there anything in my life that is displeasing to you? Is there anything that you would want me to change? And really being open to the Holy Spirit, having that honest conversation with God, being open to the Holy Spirit and seeing what's revealed. The second recommendation I came on to was that if the Holy Spirit does reveal something to you, then we should deal with it quickly. Similar to the analogy on the ship, we need to deal with it quickly. What I can see in a couple of verses before this is that Jesus talks about if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Now, thankfully, as I look around the room, we haven't taken this literally because we'd all be here with one eye and one hand. I'm convinced of that. But I think the point of what Jesus is saying is that if there's something in your life, you need to deal with it quickly. Don't let it just kind of settle and, and, and not do anything about it. Act urgently with it. The final and third recommendation is that <coughs> frequently remind yourself of who you are and who you serve. I think everything is birthed out of this. And I don't mean kind of go up to the mirror and say, I'm Glenn Darby, I work at Cadbury's. That's not, 
that's not how I want you to see yourself. And you're not Glenn Darby, so it would be weird. Um, <laughs> what I mean is, let's see ourselves as God sees us. And that's evident in Scripture. Jesus, uh, in Scripture, it talks about us being a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. We are part of a royal priesthood. And as a royal priesthood, we serve the King of Kings. It talks about us being a holy nation, a nation that is set apart, a people that are set apart, a different people, if you like, same, same, but different. And we're ambassadors for the Almighty. We, re we represent the Almighty. Everywhere we go, people will see something of Jesus. And that's a powerful and in one sense, it's a, a way to responsibility. In another, Jesus is the one that gives us the ability to do that. It's by his spirit we can do that. And finally, we're known as sons and daughters of the living God. I can't think of a higher accolade that I could be given than to be a son or a daughter of the living God. I think when we get this, when we understand it, then, and we understand what Jesus wants for us, then compromise loses all, all of its attractiveness. The short-term temptations that may come in uh, just lose and pale into insignificance when we look upon Christ. When we look upon the beauty and all that he's done for us, this compromise, this life of less than whole, it will not be good enough. Jesus is taking us on a journey of, to wholeness. And it will partly be fulfilled in this life and, and then the rest later. But the point is Jesus wants to take us on that journey. Anything less than wholeness is not good enough. And we're on this journey with Christ. So I think when we look upon that, when we understand how God sees us, the privilege that he gives us for being his sons and daughters then that stuff just kind of pales into insignificance. I just want to share in my closing thoughts before I ask Mike to come back up and pray for us. <coughs> the analogy of the T-shirt, the reason I could negotiate with the guy at the store is because what he was selling was a replica. It was a fake. It, was a, it had a diminished value. And that's why I could negotiate. When it comes to your life and my life, Jesus didn't negotiate. He paid everything. And he paid exactly what he believes that we're worth, which was everything on the cross of Calvary. He didn't try and barter. These people, my people, are worth everything, and I'll pay everything to do to, 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 for them. He paid everything on Calvary. And what I say, let's hold on to that. If there's every, forget everything else I said. If you hold on to this, if you understand your worth from Christ's perspective, then integrity and character are something you're going to want to work at. You'll want to partner with God and make sure you're living a full life that he wants you to live 
and you'll leave a life of compromise and, in, and a lack of integrity well behind you. So that's my hope and prayer for you today, to hold on to how God sees us and the price that you, Jesus paid for you. What a finish. Wow. God. Again, Calvary, the cross, Jesus poured out in all integrity, leaving nothing back, no compromise, no bartering for labor. Everything given. God is so good. Why would we not want to be who we are? And the invitation, for some of you, you might say, I'm not sure I am. The invitation is there to come. And no one's excluded. You're invited to come, center your life on him. Why don't we, why don't we stand? I'm going to pray. Maybe where you are, why don't we just close our eyes just as a way of focusing on God, focusing on Jesus who's amongst us. So I think Glenn has served us so well. And I love it when God speaks a consistent message throughout from start to finish. Do you know, peace has everything to do with integrity. Because outside of integrity, when there's, when there's conflict, there's no peace. Jesus would have us live in peace and know his blessing upon us to be who we are, who he's made us to be. Maybe there's just different ones, but just let, allow the Holy Spirit to come and do some work in us now. So perhaps you're there thinking, I'm not a Christian, but Jesus gave everything for me. I want to hear more. We'd love to tell you more. We really would. And, and myself and a few others, Janie, Gus, Adrian will be up front at the end and would love to talk to you. Love to talk to you. Uh, perhaps you're thinking, God, you're highlighting an area of compromise, of lack of integrity. Um, he only ever does that to bring us into line with him. Conviction comes so that grace could be received and that we can become who we meant to be again. So it's not for you to go feeling heavy, but for you to go feeling lighter, enjoying peace with God because you're centered on him again. And we go out to represent him, ambassadors of the Almighty, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Those wonderful things that Glenn explained to us. Lord Jesus, we just come before you therefore now. Holy Spirit, I want to invite you again to come and, and work on our hearts. For, for me, personally, as well as for everyone here. Because I know that you're not going to rest until all that you've begun is completed in us. Thank you that you know how a lack of integrity destroys. And you know how uh, purity, integrity brings life, peace. I just pray for everyone here now that they would know an invitation to come to you again, to receive of your love, of your forgiveness, and of your grace. I pray you give us boldness to repent where we need to, and to do that with sincerity, and to then swiftly receive the grace of God found in Jesus Christ, and then to go out light and ready to make Jesus known. And so we ask this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Fantastic.